Hello, friends, and welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. My name is Scott Cowan, and I'm the host of the show. Each episode, I have a conversation with an interesting guest who is living in or from Washington State. These are casual conversations with real and interesting people. I think you're going to like the show. So let's jump right in with today's guest. Well, welcome back to this episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast. I'm sitting down today with Richard Heisler, who has got, I mean, Richard, you got two things here we're going to talk about. I thought we only had one, but doing my research, you surprised me with something else. It's now I see the connection, but it, when I didn't talk to you, I was like, well, what the heck? But anyway, we're, we're talking about Civil War Seattle today. And yes. so when I, when I think when I first reached out to you, I, I said to you, I don't think of Seattle and Civil War as having much of a, an overlap, which really, after just even doing a little bit of cursory research, is really a massive oversight on my part. So welcome to the show. Thank and, you. Thanks for having me. And what I would like you to tell the audience is, how did you get started? Where, where did your interest in Civil War history start? Um, well, it started... This will this will dovetail great with your second part of the question too. So this will this will be a great uh, footing to put that upon. All right. But my interest in the Civil War is pretty versus history in general, but specifically the history of the Civil War era uh, is kind of like anything. You're just sort of born into it. I think when it's like ask somebody, why are you a baseball fan? Well, I don't know. My dad was. My grandfather was. We went to baseball parks. It's kind of like that. So my yeah. <laughs> parents, uh, I grew up in the East. I was born in New Jersey and lived in Pennsylvania and North Carolina. Okay. Uh, so we spent a lot of time visiting battlefields and going to museums and historic sites. My dad had a ton of books, encyclopedias of World War II history or the Civil War. And my family has uh, tradition going back all the way to the American Revolution of military history. So we just had that stuff around all the time. Uh, so it was easy to become pretty fascinated and pretty interested in it. Um, I can tie my, my legitimate knowledge of being interested in it to a trip probably kindergarten age to the battlefield at Gettysburg mm, one okay. summer and visiting there and seeing the monuments and all that stuff. But my father, my mother and father bought me a coloring book of Civil War uniforms oh, and okay. doing those filling in those pages and stuff that boy that fired up my imagination as a kid like like nothing else and it was participatory being able to right. what color should this be and figure right. it out um and from that point on i think i was i was just just fascinated with the period with the history okay. uh, not just the military history but that era in american history and my parents my parents accommodated that for sure they took me places and and we went to to stuff and reenactments and all that stuff yeah interesting because um the summer before my fourth grade year so i would have been 10 um would this would have been 72 uh my parents took me back east and until you just said gettysburg i didn't remember this but they took me to gettysburg Mm -hmm. we, we did this whole east coast trip i washington monument all of that mm -hmm. uh Oh my gosh. Um, the Smithsonian, sorry, words yeah. escape me sometimes anyway, but I forgot that they took me to Gettysburg and that seems really embarrassing to admit, which is something I frequently do on, on live radio so that people can go, Hey, <laughs> look at that, man. Uh, anyway, no, Gettysburg was fascinating. Okay. So you grew up on the East coast with, with a family <laughs> with, with some historical ties to American history, world war two revolution, civil war. Okay. Yeah. Now 
on your other site, uh-huh. you, 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 you're an artist. Yes. And I'm not just saying this to flatter you. I'm saying this cause I was surely blown away by your, your work. Like I'm looking at your, your painting. I, I was looking at your painting and my screen just went black. Hopefully that's not a precursor to um, other problems here. Um, Radio city. Uh-huh. Okay. How'd you get into, I mean, was it the coloring books that got you started into art? Yeah. I mean, that really it's, it is kind of one and the same. Okay. So the coloring books, of course, uh, my mother had a tremendous interest in art. So we would go into New York city and we go to the metropolitan museum and all these other museums. She was real. She really liked Van Gogh. So I remember okay. once when I was a kid, there was a big Van Gogh exhibition in New York. So probably early 1980s that we went to see that. That one stands out for sure. But what really I really liked was, and you can see this if you look at my work or you come on a tour uh, or read my, my, my writing about histories, I really like detail. Yeah. There was artists, traditional American artist painters uh, or American painters like uh, Thomas Aikens and some of the Hudson School painters that do these wonderfully rich, uh, but yet very realistic work. John Singer Sargent is another one that I, I latched onto them very early, earlier mm-hmm. than a kid should probably interested in that kind of artwork. <laughs> okay. Um, and the number one thing, again, going back to Gettysburg, is there's this thing called the cyclorama at Gettysburg. It's a big 360 degree painting. It's t- like 18 or 20 feet high. It's this immersive experience. It's the precursor to motion pictures, these cycloramas. Okay. Very popular at the, at the time, uh, turn of the century or 1890s. And going into that is a kid where it's, it's a, a gigantic oil painting. I, th- I think it's several hundred feet in, in width that goes circles around this giant building. And, and just like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And I knew it was art. I knew it was painting. And so I just, I had that attraction to that early on. So even my art interest comes from some of those formative history experiences I had too. Um, so they, they really do track parallel from, from the start of my life. I, I think. I, I know that when people look at the title of this, it'll have civil war probably somewhere in the title and they're, they're now they're listening to us at the very beginning, talk about your painting, which sorry folks, but you know, you know how the show runs. I am looking at one of your paintings and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it, but it's basically, it's a hundred views of Tokyo. Yeah. Did you go to Tokyo? I did. My wife is from Tokyo. So I spent a lot of time there. Okay. So if you wouldn't mind, would you just kind of indulge me? What's your process for creating a piece of art like that? Oh boy. Um, the, the first step is an enormous amount of photography. Okay. So one thing that I've learned through my entire career, and this also goes with history research too, is the thing that I wind up really, really nailing and, and like ends up being the finished thing is probably the one I had the least expectations of starting. Really? So I'll walk around the city and take photographs of different compositions and different things. And I'll think, oh man, this is, this is a banger. This has just got everything I want. And I get home and I do all the editing and Photoshop. And, and it usually each one is at least a dozen different photographs that are stitched okay. together. And then I have to correct all the perspectives and pull, take out like a 
box truck that pulled in front of something at the wrong moment in the photo and really, really settle on the composition. Mm -hmm. And I'll do a whole bunch. I'll take on an average trip to Tokyo, I'll take five, 7,000 photographs and come home and maybe get six or eight really nice compositions out of that. Okay. And then kind of whittle it down to which one am I willing to spend all this time on? Cause I take months to, to make a painting. So I got to love it to, to right. put that kind of time into it. Um, and then it becomes transferring it onto the canvas, uh, which generally for the proportions and stuff, I'll use a projector. Um, so I put the canvas up on my, on my easel, use a projector to get the outline and then go in with pencil and draw everything in and then adjust and change. Um, they're not really as realistic as they are. They're not particularly um, slave to the exactness of the spot. So, you know, I'll change colors and put a building here, move things around to make it, mm -hmm. make it the way that, that, that I really want. Um, but then it's sort of like when I take these images, I got to look back at what I'm good at doing. Because mm -hmm. there'll be something I think, man, I'm, this is super, super cool. But I really struggle with painting this one thing and it never quite comes out right. So maybe I should choose this other one first and I'll ask friends and my, my, my dealers, uh, the, the gallery managers that I work with and say, you know, what do you, here's the 10 that I might do. And I'm going to invest four months into this. So what do you, what do these stands out to you? And we discuss it and, mm -hmm. uh, and then, and then it's a whole lot of time with tiny paintbrushes and uh, patience and stiff hands. So what I'm what I'm looking and I am no I am no art aficionado art critic no this is just layman's observation looking mm -hmm. at it on a computer monitor. Mm -hmm. What's fascinating to me is I'm looking at this building and not this building but this this perspective you know of a street and there's a in the lower right corner is a cab you, you know, uh -huh. you know, you're painting and that sure. looks, and that, and that cab looks like it's painted. I mean, that looks like that doesn't look quote unquote photorealistic to me, but the mm -hmm. building on the left-hand side that the shrubbery's got this effect of light. The windows mm -hmm. have this reflective quality to it. Mm -hmm. The two people that are standing, having a conversation, I mean, it's creepy. I mean, and I mean that in a compliment, not in a negative way. Sure, I mean, it's sure. like, it's just like, wow, this is really, really cool. And just the whole perspective of the piece, it's, it's amazing. And I, I had no, I mean, probably 30 minutes ago, I didn't know anything about this with you. So it's like, <laughs> well, um, I appreciate that. I uh, will tell you, you're cluing into kind of one of the key things uh, with realist painting, whether it's what I do, this very hard edge realism, or going back to those like Thomas Aikens and singer sergeant of the late 1800s that I like is it's all about the light. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it, that's what gives it authenticity. That's what gives it contrast and interest um, and realism that can, that can make or break whether a painting looks flat, like, like a painter, like Edward Hopper, who's done a lot of iconic American artwork. It's very realistic, but it's more realistic in feel rather than literal realism. And his light and his tonality is pretty flat. Um, but then you look at some more earlier art that's more focused on hard light coming from one side and high contrast. And then it starts to be like, oh, I can, I can feel the surfaces mm -hmm. in that painting more. So that's, it's good that you notice that. That's, that's absolutely a, a, a conscious decision going into those paintings yeah, is making sure the light 
And what, you know, not all my paintings are, I, I feel the best work. Some are better than others. Some I, I really hit some others. I'm like, eh. and it usually comes down to the effect of the light or the angle or how well that's rendered uh, right. to how convincing it is. No, these how, are, these are amazing. You said Hopper though. Yeah. How well, how much, and I don't know that, I don't know if this is going to be a dead end or not, but how much do you know about him and his career? Not much. <laughs> so was he, are you aware, did he have a missing painting? Likely. I've heard the best I can say on that is it sounds familiar. Okay. That there's, so, there's known works mm -hmm. that uh, of several of artists of, of the first half of the 19th century, mid-century where there's sort of known iconic works that nobody knows where they are. Uh, not like somebody, oh, I found this at Goodwill and it just happens to be a Jackson Pollock Whoa, 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 whoa. No, just stop now. Just stop <laughs> because you said the magic word. Um, I used to work for Tacoma Goodwill. I was their, mm -hmm. their head of online sales. So we would go in and to the stores and we would find things of more value than Goodwill stores replacing on them and we'd sell them for auction. Uh -huh. And right about the time that I was wrapping up my time at Goodwill, Portland Goodwill called me and said, hey, you have a, an art authenticator. I said, yeah. Do you think that they would come down? We have something here. I'm like, yeah. Okay. okay. So went down to Portland, looked at the painting, kind of said in a more um, professional way than what you just said. I don't mean that, but I'm just saying that they were like, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. this does appear to be... Um, a missing painting uh, that there were known sketches of this, but no one has ever seen the finished work. Mm. That painting was donated to Portland Goodwill in the back of a semi truck at a Fred Meyer parking lot. You know, people clean out their houses. Yeah. And just Well, that painting sold on shopgoodwill.com for approximately $165,000. Wow. The gentleman, the story, no, this is the story that I was told. The gentleman that won the, painting came to Portland and left with the painting after inspecting it in a locked briefcase chained to his wrist. Supposedly this story goes probably, that's probably a little fictional mm -hmm. and ended up selling it with either Sotheby's or Christie's for about $6 million. Wow. So there was, yeah. Anyway, totally off yeah. topic. Totally has nothing to do with silver war Seattle. Totally has nothing to do with your work. <laughs> I am looking at your painting now called Kittitas. Yeah. And I love it. So you're an artist, you're yes. a historian, you live in Seattle, Correct. To Washington state now, <laughs> I went off the rails. You, you grew up with an affinity towards civil war history. Sure. Mm -hmm. Why and how did you start doing this in the Seattle area? Well, let me back up. What brought you to Seattle from the East coast? Um, well, that would be my my i moved around a lot as a kid yeah. um, my father transferred a lot with his corporate job uh my parents separated when i was young and both of them kept moving around and i kept kind of live for a couple years with dad lived for a couple years for mom and kind of bounced around so when i was in high school i lived in florida in rural central florida uh, okay. which is not a good fit for me really um that summer between my senior junior and senior year of high school, my mother took a job in Seattle. So I spent the summer in Seattle and discovered rock climbing and went to Mount Rainier and all these different things uh, that I had been curious about 
all my life. So literally the day after I graduated high school in Florida, I got on a plane and I came to Seattle uh, because I was so kind of enchanted with it that first year. Uh, there was a couple different schools that I was interested in going to, which ultimately I wound up going to one of them here in Seattle. Uh, so I was looking to get the heck out of central Florida quickly. My friends were getting into trouble. I barely got out of high school because of, because of influence of them. I needed for my future, a big change and Seattle was a very attractive place. It really suited me uh, and what I wanted to do. So it was a quick, a quick decision to make. And man, I mean, as soon as that diploma was in my hand, I was packing my suitcase Uh, and that's not an exaggeration. It's pretty literal to come here. So central Florida is, you know, known for its mountainous regions of about three, three foot elevation. Uh, yeah, if that, if that, and so you come and you see Rainier, which is the tallest peak in North, yeah. North America, you know, and you're like, or not North continental United States, gotta be sure, careful. Yeah. And you're like, okay, this is kind of different. This is kind of cool. All right. Yeah. And then, so you've had your career, you're doing this and in about 2020, you opened up civil war Seattle. Yeah. Why? Why? I mean, I, I think I know the answer because it's a very, I think it's going to be a very common answer, but why did you open yeah. Civil War Seattle? Well, why I did it, it's a, a number, it's a confluence of a number of things, really. Um, I think the timing of it, which is the timing of a lot of people taking on a new project, of course, was, was the pandemic year. Ding, 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 ding. There's no, <laughs> uh, no, no disguising that at all with with starting something in 2020 but i think it's it's certainly longer than that i think that was just a really good kind of push okay push through the door so to speak about it um one part was that there was tremendous uncertainty in the art market at that result at that point mm-hmm. i mean galleries were closing doors left and right and a lot of artists long-term professional artists like myself were like what are we going to do? Is this coming back or is the whole population going to die? First of all, second of all, if they don't, what, who cares about buying a painting? Right. And then just, and then the business realities of being, of these places being shut high overhead galleries being shuttered. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, both the galleries that I work with are still in existence and, and doing well. A lot of galleries did tremendously well the year after, mm-hmm. um, but that that was a great time of uncertainty, and a lot of us, and I've talked to to friends and 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 colleagues in the art world, that a lot of us kind of reassessed what 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 are we doing? All right, do I really like doing this? My chasing my tail with the art world and, and going through all those the the hoops and hurdles you have to jump through with the politics of that kind of business, um, and on top of the uncertainty, and a number of people kind of backed off. Top, I know a lot of top guys that sold paintings for six figures uh, each that were like, man, I don't know if this is the thing to do anymore. I've really had to, there's, everybody's thinking about mortality and there's just a lot of stuff on your mind at that time and legacy and life and what are we doing? And man, I've been burning a candle at both ends for 20 years as an artist. Uh, And so it was, it was something where I felt like maybe this is a nice time to reoccupy myself and, and re-energize myself anyway okay. after you know 25 years of the tremendous ups and downs of being a prof- professional fine artist i mean it's feast or famine with that you're you're either high on the hog or you just you i don't even know what's going on now why isn't why aren't any paintings selling and then they all sell I'm like geez I, so it, that's <laughs> it's, it's a tough career it really mm-hmm. is 
Um, and so it was a, it was a time after 20 plus years of that and everything. I just thought, boy, I don't know. It's hard for me to sit in the studio in the middle of the pandemic and paint. Cause I don't know if this is ever going to go anywhere. This may just sit in my studio permanently. Who knows what the future is going to be. Um, and we had a lot of time on our hands. So I'm reading and getting kind of reconnected with things I had cared about a lot in previous years and hadn't put much energy into. And that was history. And I mm -hmm. found myself reading these books and reconnecting with friends, history world friends from five, 10, 20 years ago that I hadn't talked to. And it was, it was just exciting. And it was, it was like, wow, I really, I forgot how much I love this. And that's, that's where it began. It was initially just a hobby Facebook page because I had found some stories and I wanted to try my hand at writing or maybe mm -hmm. doing a little tiny video creation just for fun. Uh, and then nearly three years later now, it's a, it's a, you know, I did tours five days this week. So it's turned, wow. it's turned into a thing that I had no concept of. It was, it was just, let me pass the time to something, something different that I can enjoy for a little while. Um, All right. That's where, yeah. that's where the seed for the actual civil war Seattle thing, but the interest of course goes back to the coloring books in 1975. So I'm on, I'm on, I bounced off your, your painting site now and I'm on your back mm -hmm. in your silver war cell. And, and there's this paragraph here and I, I don't want to read all of it because I kind of want to make fun of it and humor me, but <laughs> it says, and I, and I'm going to kind of put, I'm folks, this is not the paragraphs exact wording. I'm just cutting it down to, they served as leaders in government, business, and society. Many of Seattle's mayors, judges, lawyers, doctors, business leaders, engineers, religious leaders came from the civil war veterans. Postmasters, shopkeepers, I guess I'm going to read it all. Postmasters, shopkeepers, <laughs> sign painters, teamsters, real estate dealers, railroad men, and vaudeville performers. So a bunch of crooks. I mean, because they're real estate guys. I mean, I'm a real estate agent. I can say this. That's, that's <laughs> But here's the thing. And I could have cut this down. And here's the thing. Here's the next two. An Olympic gold medalist and a world champion wrestler. Yes. All of the above. <laughs> I, I, all right. We can't go through all of this, but I, yeah. it's my show. I get to ask. What Olympic gold medalist in what and who? So that's this is great uh, tease because I'm just now working on a feature article for Civil War Times magazine, the National Civil War magazine, on those two people specifically, okay. the, the gold medalist and the world championship. Wrestler. So it is two people. I was almost it's, thinking it might have just been one. But no, okay. no, it's two. Okay. It's two, two separate people. The gold medalist, um, he's a man named Will H. Thompson. He was a prominent Seattle lawyer. He was a counsel for the Northern Pacific Railroad here mm -hmm. in the city. Um, very, very well-known speaker and order. Tremendous writer, poet. I mean, he's everything that you expect out of a Victorian-era educated man. He was a Confederate veteran. He was served in the Confederate Army as a 15-year-old in 1864 wow. in 65. Uh, there's a lot of interesting dynamics with him as a leading figure in sort of reconciliation and reunion with the Union veterans. He's a captivating guy. Mm -hmm. uh, his son killed a murdered a state uh, county superior court judge, which made for one of the most sensational trials in the history of this state that he defended his own son on the basis of insanity in a murder trial of a state judge. I mean, he's, this guy's got a biography like you can't possibly imagine that the gold medal goes way down the list on stuff yeah. people would have known him for. 
So he won a gold, three medals. He won a gold medal in a team gold medal and two bronze medals individual uh, in the sport of archery at the St. Louis Olympics in 1904. Okay. So he's Seattle's first gold medalist, an Olympic medalist. Uh, He's the only Confederate to have ever competed in an Olympic Games, much less won a medal or three. Uh, so he's true one of one in a lot of ways. Wow. Uh, him, him and his brother, Maurice, were they learned archery in the hills of North Georgia and also in the swamps of Central Florida after the Civil War. And you didn't uh, want to stay there? And you didn't want to stay in Central Florida knowing he, I these didn't guys? Know he was there. I, did that, I, I just found this out in the recent years. Um, so he, he, uh, he and Maurice wrote some very early textbooks that are considered foundational in the American sport of archery. So it's more popular in Europe, but in, in America it was never a sporting pursuit. It was hunting or, or uh, uh, you know, a practical pursuit. So they wrote all these books about it and turned it. So he's kind of the father of the sport that he won the gold medal in. Um, and honestly, if you were alive in Seattle during his lifetime, that's the Olympic medal is like number five on the things that he's most known for. All right. I, I don't want to know about the wrestler. We can just, we can skip that one now. Okay. Because that, that wrestler, no matter how, like, they're, they're just going to pale in comparison. So the, I other, don't know. They're, they're pretty, okay. the wrestler well, we'll, was pretty good, but we'll, we'll, we'll save him for another day. All right. So now here's a question I have and, and you, you kind of, you, you brought it up with this guy mm-hmm. somewhere on your website. I think it says about how many, Civil War veterans came to the Seattle area. Am I, uh-huh. did I see, and what's that yeah. approximate number? It's here in Seattle and King County. My best estimate, based off historic numbers, and then kind of adding in what I think may have gone beyond that, is about thirty-five hundred here okay. in our okay. immediate Seattle and suburbs. Statewide, it's about fifteen thousand. Okay, that lived here. Do you know approximately the the ratio of Union to Confederate? Yes, I know it very well, actually. Uh, so with that 3,000 to 3,500 that lived here in King County, Union veterans, Confederate veterans number right around 150. I think I have about 154 or something in my notebooks now that I've tracked down and so documented. So way, very, very small. Very small. Yeah, okay. And yeah. that's kind of what I thought it would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And... Do you know, and once again, we're bouncing around. Um, do you know when the last known Civil War veteran in the Seattle area passed away? Yes, 1951. 1951. A man named Hiram Gale. Okay. And did Hiram do anything like, you know, archery or lawyer, um, wrestling? He, I, there's I mean, no, no athletic accomplishments to speak of. Okay. I mean, being alive to 104 is something. Yeah, of that's, athletic that's athletic. People. That's athletic. Yeah. Yeah, that's you're, good you're, for him. You got some genes, yeah. some exceptional genes in that regard. Uh, he marched, speaking of an athletic achievement, he marched the full two mile route of Seattle's Memorial Day parade in the late 1940s at 99 years old. Wow. But he walked the entire route. Most of the veterans, well, there weren't, there was like four of them at that point. They would usually drive in cars mm-hmm. for the parades for going 20 years prior to that. And he, he was working for his son in his son's real estate office at the age of 100. Uh, and he walked two miles on Memorial Day of 19, I think 47, 46, whatever wow. it was. Okay. Yeah. So he should have got a medal for that. You should have got, yeah. Okay. 
so in that same block of text, you know, uh, now we talk about these are the same men that charged into the crater at Petersburg, which I'm not <laughs> familiar with that one at all. Uh, fought fiercely at Gettysburg. I think every listener has heard of Gettysburg. Marched to the sea with Sherman. New Abraham Lincoln. Yes. How do you know that these some of these people are a person new Lincoln? How, what, how were you able to connect those dots? Um, a couple of them. That's a, see, that's one civil war veterans, like, like people of every generation that's ever walked the earth are a little prone to exaggeration. So there's a whole lot of people that claim to fire the first shot at the battle of Gettysburg. They met Abraham Lincoln. They were the first person to do that. They put this flag on the top of this Hill. There's a whole lot of claims. The last union veteran died in 1951, but there's claims of Confederate veterans that like, they just go so beyond. They might've been still a, alive. <laughs> they might've been a stem cell at the time of the civil war. And they're the last one in 1970 or something. Uh, so you, you, you have to be very discerning with these claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of men did meet president Lincoln. They had great access to him. He would walk around in Washington DC and meet soldiers in the Capitol building or at the White House or just on the streets of the city. So there's plenty of opportunity that some of our thousands of veterans had had the chance to at least see him or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, come and shake their hand in the Capitol building or something like that. But there's a few that have very, very specific stories um, that we know because of the way they told the story and the authenticity of the situation that, yes, in fact, this is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the most, the best one to me is one of our last surviving veterans. He lived kind of a, a friend of Hiram Gale. He lived until 1943 as a boy in Northern Illinois in the 1840s and fifties, his father was a conductor on the underground railroad and his father was acquainted with Abraham Lincoln through that. When Lincoln re-entered politics in the 1850s, 1852, he was working with his father with this soldier's father. So Abraham Lincoln came to his house multiple times okay. to meet with his father. And then he would tell these stories consistently in detail year after year after year throughout his life. Um, some of them have connections to Lincoln through the, through the legal realm as lawyers, or they worked at clerks. One was a clerk in the offices where Lincoln had worked. So there's, there's some professional overlap with him as well. Um, and then some other personal ones where they were from the same area of Kentucky and they were friends with, with, uh, his wife's family, things, things like that. Um, but there's a lot that were, that, that, that made claims that you could just go, yeah, everybody says that, but the, but there's some where it's legitimately like, okay, that's, that's, that really bears scrutiny. Some of the, some of the stories. Where are you going for a lot of your research. I mean, when I, I, I'm a baseball history fan and I, I have a, um, so my, my, my area of enthusiasm is pre-World War II minor league West coast baseball. That's, that's pretty granular. Right. And in particular three seasons of the Pacific coast and Northwest leagues, where there was a series of baseball cards, uh, from a, cigarette company out of San Francisco called Obac. And so mm-hmm. I've tried to, I've tried to go and look for the history of, of that. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of my time down at the, at the Washington state history museum in, in Tom water uh-huh. looking at microfish and, and I'm guessing you probably have done similar, but 
I haven't done that in a long time, so I'm curious. Where does one where does one research uh, Civil War veterans in the Pacific Northwest? Well, it's multi-pronged approach, I guess. Um, this one thing now that's much better than say when I was in college and trying to research things for for editorial illustrations based on the history stuff is it doesn't always require a trip to the library anymore it's with the the ever increasing availability of digitized resources is tremendous uh for really getting a wonderful picture of their lives and there's never ever one source you just got to put together a hundred different little tiny bits of information to create a picture uh, digitized newspapers are are one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to talk about if you want to research early baseball, my goodness, the stuff that's the stories about these people and the and and the the portrait of their lives that that comes across in those newspapers is is without compare for research mm-hmm. uh, source. Then there's a lot of it is just strict records stuff like looking through pension records and census records and property records to verify and like was this person live here and then look into a city directory and find their address and the organizational history a lot of it uh is then museum collections looking through folders of papers that belong to one person or the other um and then one thing that i really enjoy is local historical societies Mm -hmm. because they'll have family collections and photographs and letters and things like that that Unless you go and you look in that shoebox that was donated by the Jones family in 1984, you're never going to find it. And one thing that I've had a great time with is going to historical societies here in King County and looking through their archives, looking at them the way that I am, the Mm -hmm. Civil War lens, and seeing stuff that they didn't know what it was. And oh. I go, oh, this is a, this is that veterans organization's book, or this is a letter from whatever. And then I explain what all that stuff is to them, and it recontextualizes everything. And I go, oh, well, that guy, we've got a, we've got their family Bible downstairs. And then you find, open that up. Oh my God, look at the, there's a letter that's tucked in there. So it's right. it's a little luck, and it's just digging and digging and digging and digging uh, through anything. And then the Civil War stuff is records and museum collections and published histories and and uh a lot of time in the libraries for that stuff so i'm I'm making a connection between your your research and your art Mm -hmm. you're you're very detail orientated you you seem to you seem to enjoy the minutiae the 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 connecting of the little tiny threads weaving them into a fabric that that when you pull back you go oh that's this person's history you know yeah yeah that's, that's it's interesting because your art if you're spending you know all this time on photography like you said six seven thousand photographs right and then you're uh-huh. and out of that trip you might get six working concepts yeah. and i'm gonna guess that you don't finish all six of those working concepts either you might finish say four i don't know i mean yeah you know, and so you finish yeah. four of them and then that's taking you a better part of a year of your life yeah um you're not in, you don't seem like somebody who's like in that needs instant gratification. You probably don't shop what there's an Amazon box behind you. I guess you shop at Amazon, for, but you know, you, you probably are okay with delayed gratification. Yeah. Yeah. The history work is very, very much in that same vein. I think you're, yeah. I think you're seeing this from the outside, the way that it feels from the inside that it's, 
uh, a lot of work for a very finely detailed picture at the end, whether it's a written or spoken picture or a painted one, it's, it's, that's the product of what I do. I okay. think. All right. Um, so and if, you know, I've also have an interest somewhat in baseball history and my collecting and stuff in that, like my wife and I, uh, used to not so much anymore, have spent a lot of time autograph collecting and it was okay. just as thorough and just as complete. <laughs> Okay. Uh, is okay. everything. So we've got this massive collection of like Ichiro autograph okay. stuff, for example, and, and, and other things where we were like, we got to get, we got to get his Japanese Jersey and we've got to get this and we've got to get this card and this photo. So that thoroughness and particularness is just, that's just my DNA, I think for, for all of it. I was going to ask you a question and, and I think you, you ruined it for me, but I'm going to ask, does your wife think you're nuts? But if she's out there hunting autographs for Ichiro and all that with you, she's probably detail orientated too. But I mean, yeah, yeah, she's she gets she gets me mostly. <laughs> um, if she's frustrated with anything, it's how distracted I can get with going down rabbit holes for research and stuff. Like I can go sit down on the computer and not even look up for hours. Right. Right. And, uh, okay. You know. Meanwhile the the hedges need to be trimmed right yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah so so that but but personally i think she knows she knows what it is and she values authenticity a lot too okay. so that that allows me to you know whether it's in food or when we travel or go to whatever it's um you know we both were patient and we make the decision for exactly what that is that we want at the end okay and and so it's it kind of yeah she she supports she supports it in that's, that's as awesome. best she can that's yeah. awesome I, we, you know, I, the, the challenge for me every, every time I sit down with somebody is, you know, these, these conversations could spin out of control and go for a really, really long time. So, <laughs> and, and, and I don't ever want to feel like I've just like lopped off some big area that we should have talked about, you know, the 800 pound elephant in the room we should talk about, but you know, I always mm -hmm. ignore parts of things, but I, I promise you we're going to come back to your tours because we're, yeah. we're going to wrap up. Well, we're going to wrap up with your tours, but you said yeah. something and I, I think we'll sure. go down that direction. So you said authenticity and food. You live in the Seattle area. Yes. I'm going to drive over to Seattle at some point in the future from Wenatchee. And I'm going to get there about lunchtime and I need to go to a great place to eat. Where are you telling me to go? Boy. Um, well, lunchtime's tricky because the places I really like are usually open, only open in the evening. Well, all right. uh, I ask lunch because you're the first person that's said <laughs> everybody has, everyone's always had a problem with dinner. So, all right, help me yeah. out. I, I'm a little late. It's late afternoon. I'm looking for a dinner this evening. Yeah. Where's a great place to go? <laughs> I would say there is my favorite place to go eat is there's a sushi place in Belltown called Shiro's. Um, it's been around about 25 years or so. Um, it's very, it's, it's very traditional in its style, um, but still kind of, it's not dated, but it's traditional in, in, in their manner. They have most of their uh, chefs are from Japan. So mm -hmm. they're very, very well trained and they bring their fish in from Japan twice a week. Um, that, that's sourced from Japan. Like their salmon from here, but right. Um, but that, that place is always, and has long been a favorite. Um, and boy, there's an Italian place on Beacon Hill called Bar del Corso. This is a little bit of a, uh, 
I, I know the people that opened the place, so it's uh, it's a little, I don't know, slightly biased. That's okay. But I really, really like the food that they have. They they he's he spent a lot of time cooking in Italy and learning his craft there. Their pizza that they make in the wood fire oven is really without compare. There's a lot of there's a lot of places now in Seattle that really pride themselves on a supposedly authentic Neapolitan style pizza with wood fire ovens and mm -hmm. using the right kind of tomatoes and this kind of stuff. Um, but there's something different about how Bar del Corso cooks their pizza, and there's something more. It's a it's it's just one location rather than six or whatever. Um, and then the small plates and stuff. I mean, it's it's and they pair it with the wine and everything. It's it's hard to get in. The place because mm -hmm. I don't think they take reservations, so people line up out on the sidewalk and have for for a few years. But that's one that should be way more famous than it is, and it's it's very well known. But yeah, considering the product that they put out, it's uh, it, it, that's if someone was going to come here and I'd say have one meal, that might be the place. I'd that might send be the up. place. Okay. Yeah. So the other thing I always ask my guests is coffee. I, I'm I love coffee. Uh -huh. We're living in a town that's got a fairly well-known coffee company based out of it. Yeah, um, yeah. But besides that fairly well-known 800 pound mermaid, um, yeah. where's a great place to get a cup of coffee in Seattle, in your opinion? Well, I, this one, I may get my like state residency revoked for this. Uh -oh. I don't drink coffee. Uh oh. I'm yeah, a Seattleite that doesn't drink coffee, which is, I mean, uh. I don't know what, what it is about that. Um, so that question, I literally can't answer. That's so There's one place I, I go because it's close to where my wife works, and I just drop in there and use her Wi-Fi and get a, hot, a, a Coke. Okay, so <laughs> what? at least humor me, play along. What's the name of that place? Up, we go there uptown, for the Wi-Fi. Uptown Espresso. Uptown Espresso, okay. Um, I'm familiar in Belltown. They have several locations. Yeah, no, that's good, um, that's good solid coffee, man. Yeah, and it's 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 a moderate sized company. They've got a couple mm -hmm. locations, so it doesn't. I don't feel like I'm going into a Starbucks when I go to read right. or work there. Mm -hmm. um, it still feels like when reminds me of the feeling of going into coffee places when I was in school, and okay. we go to the university district or whatever, mm -hmm. and go into this you know this old coffee shop with everybody's just doing their homework and stuff. Right. It's it it feels more like that than sitting mm -hmm. in the Starbucks while everybody's working remotely. Well, so look. It's it's good solid coffee and they have great Wi-Fi. There there you go. Yeah. Okay. So when you're not painting, when you're not giving walking tours, when you're not researching, yeah. What do you and your wife when you're not going out and in in going after baseball stuff? Which we could talk for another three hours on that one. But yeah. What what do you and your wife like to do for fun and relaxation and excitement in in Seattle? Uh, well, going out to eat is a Definitely uh, something we like to do. Um, we don't have any kids, but we own a horse. And our horse Ooh. is very, very time consuming. So if I'm not doing the painting or the history stuff or driving to and from something, we spend most of our time taking care of him. Uh, he's older now, so we don't do horse shows anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, he's he's retired from that, but that's what we used to do. So we travel around the area going to to equestrian events. So that's a that's a lot when you own a, a domestic sport horse and you live in the suburbs. It's it's a lot of work. It's like 
you know, in Ellensburg or something, you know, that you've got 50 acres, horse goes out and eats and there's a little pond back there. When you own a horse near the city, it's an entirely different monster. Well, you, so you, you, you're, you're boarding him somewhere, right? Yes. Yeah. And, he lives at a boarding facility a couple miles from my house. Yeah. You know, and in, you know, boarding, I think if you look the word up in the English dictionary now, so the translation is expensive. Um, yes. and, and, and so there's all of that. Okay. Very interesting. So how, how did you get involved in the equestrian thing though? Uh, boy, it's one of those, one of those things, man, that you just, you tried it out once and you liked it. And so I had been around horses a bit earlier, uh, in my life. And we, we went to Sun Mountain Lodge in Winthrop actually. Yeah. And they have a little trail riding yeah. course that you can get on. You could, the guy takes you around on this half asleep horse that tries, you know, just, follows his route and goes back and gets his dinner. A union then, card. He's got a union yeah, card. He's got yeah. Card. And we did that. And then we're like, Oh, that was pretty fun. We should look into riding lessons. And we went and took a couple lessons. And then two years later we own one and we're up to our eyeballs in it. And, oh and it's just, I, you know, it's what happens when people get at mountain biking or skiing or, right, or right. bird watching or astronomy or whatever. You just, something you you made the mistake of trying something and then you liked it and then you're off and running but the difference between the ones that you just named and a horse is that the other things don't eat yes no <laughs> i mean no. you have to feed them because you're always buying you know the latest yeah. you know the latest you know whatever most of us you know yeah. we get into our hobbies and we have a new podcast microphone or, or i need this or that or yeah. whatever but it my microphone doesn't eat um, yeah, your, yeah, your hobby vet, veterinary care, right? Which is really what hurts. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And now we have, we have a Bernese mountain dog and three cats. So yes, I'm, yeah. you know, and my dog may, well, he eats like a horse, but okay. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go back. I promise you we'd go back this, your civil war, Seattle, your Seattle, you know, you're, you're walking tours. What, mm -hmm. what was the inspiration for you? to start those, when did you start them? And help me out and like walk me through if you, to the best of your recollection, when you met Abraham Lincoln at the first walking tour. No, um, <laughs> when, <laughs> what was it like at first for you? I mean, how did you decide to do this? And yeah. when you put it out there for the public, how was it received? Yeah, well, it was definitely with some, uh, reluctance or shyness perhaps because uh, it's never anything I've done before and so it started with the Facebook page and it was kind of writing and little article about this and that and I'm going way back here but so so I'll take a little time here but I think it'll be worth it to go through the whole story and one of the very first things that I wrote I sent to a friend a, that, that I had known from years before who uh, as a national park ranger on battlefields back in one of the the national parks back east. And I said, hey, you know, this is what you do for a living. And I'm just playing around with this. Can you just read this and give me give me a critique? I'm a, I've spent 30 years as an artist and being trained. Critique is something I really enjoy. So mm -hmm. I'm like, hey, you know, lay it on. Let me let me know. Is this stupid? Is it whatever? And I'd written this whole thing about this this guy who was in the 7th Michigan Cavalry and what he did during the war and all this stuff. And then he happened to be Seattle's first civil engineer. And that was kind of the last sentence of the thing. And he read through this whole thing and he wrote back and he said, 
Yeah, the the stuff's interesting. The history, the battle, the tactics, and all that stuff, the military history. But what really caught me was like, what the heck? This guy's the first civil engineer of the city of Seattle. Like, I want to know more. So that steered me into this direction of looking more into rather than taking the civil war history and just laying that on top of Seattle is trying to figure out like who these guys were. And I kept getting that response over and over and over and over. And so that's the angle that I started to look at. It was never my intention in the beginning to look at that side of things. My first web, like my first page on Facebook, the description of the page was like, this isn't about Seattle history. This is about blah, blah, blah. And it's anything but at this point, it's completely the opposite of what it was on that first day. Um, and so that's what got me into researching with the local museums and the local historical sites and just getting on the phone with people saying, hey, I'm looking up some stuff. And do you guys have anything that might be fun to look at and meeting people? That slowly became an opportunity where I thought, I've accumulated enough information of the group of veterans that founded the town that I live in, which is Bothell, the northeast suburb of, of Seattle. And I had friends that were doing tours and doing virtual tours and stuff. And I thought, man, I wonder, this would be kind of fun to try. I'll just put it on Facebook and I'll share it around a little bit. And if people show up, that's fine. I'm just going to try it out. And when I drove down the road to where the cemetery was that first day, uh, 20 minutes before the tour time I had scheduled to start And this, there's no buying tickets. There's no, this is just, Hey, I know some stuff. I'm going to share it. If anybody wants to show up, fine. And I couldn't park because the street, the parking was full. The whole block on both sides was parked, was full of parked cars. And I thought, Oh man, what, what did done? I do? Like, I can't, I can't talk to these people. Like, what do they expect from me? You know, I invited them here and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. And, uh, but there I am, I'm, I gotta do it. And I think the first ones are probably pretty clunky. If I were to look at videotape of them now, that's fine. Um, but immediately the reception for the written work and the, the social media stuff and people in the history world were going, holy crap, I've never heard anything like that. I've never connected Seattle with the civil war. We want to have you on our podcast. We want to have you write for our website. We want to have you do video. They, it was like this, this magnetism to what I had kind of discovered. Right. And so the tours generated that on the, on the local level where the first four tours that I did all got 40 or 50 people every time. Wow. Um, I'd love that today. I, to today it's harder to get that five days a week. Mm -hmm. um, You're doing five days a week. Some weeks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it depends. There's that much demand and interest. That's, and, I don't, but I, I don't mind a small group. I'll take no, four people. You but know, still, it's, it's that's, still, but, but yeah. still, that's you know, twenty people a week. That's a thousand people in a year if you did it fifty weeks in yeah. a year. I mean, that's a there's that's a, a trem lot. tremendous appetite for this history, and the demographic that's interested in it has shocked me as well. I thought it's going to be all sixty-year-old guys, you know, Civil War buffs, armchair general types. Mm -hmm. That makes up a small fraction of the people on my tours. It's mostly middle to, I guess, I'd say 30 to 60-year-old women are the ones that are in, super into it and, and engaged have. in the tours. Um, one thing that's helped is I've branched out from the Civil War-specific tours a little bit mm -hmm. as well. So a second part of this, which has just really started in the last couple of months, is 
is Seattle history tours. And that the, the, the one that keeps me in business is true crime and tragedy in Victorian Seattle. Okay. So that's a, it came out of the civil war stuff because several of them were murdered. Several of them murdered people, a lot of suicides. Uh, some of them were coroners or police chiefs or judges or prosecuting attorneys that worked on all these sensational cases, Will H. Thompson and his son. So I built a whole tour program of just like true crime with the veterans. And so I, I spun that out into some of the other stuff that would be in the other columns of the newspaper. I'm like, I can't, I, this is too good. Like how many right. people died in insane elevator accidents in Pioneer Square in the 1890s? You could do a whole walking tour of just that, of gory, like just death in the Victorian era. Uh, people love that. So I've branched out beyond the Civil War stuff. So it's not okay. five days a week of Civil War. It's okay. one or two this, and then three this... days of, of you know, people getting their face run over by a wagon in Pioneer Square. Like that's that's fun too. But see, that's ones I wouldn't have even, you know, and for, for time we won't even – people you have to go go on that tour to learn more um you, you know i wouldn't have even thought of those as being topics you know uh, yeah. i just uh, so it's it's fascinating so where can people find out more where's the best place for them to go i mean i'm on civilwarseattle.com but is that the best place where's a good place for people um, to go um that's a that's a that's it a good place to get the basics and okay. of course to see the the current tour offerings i have a tours page so that the programs rotate because I have a, a dozen different programs that I okay. do. Okay. So that's where you can kind of see what the current titles are. Uh, look at the booking calendar and see what's available. Okay. SeattleHistoryTours.com will take you to the same website. So that's the same thing. So either of those, CivilWarSeattle.com or SeattleHistoryTours.com will take you to the, to the same information and the same okay. tour stuff. Uh, the social media is really probably a little more dynamic place to keep up with what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, Facebook, of course, is, is, has tons of content on a more regular basis. And on there, I'll do a post once or twice a week with a picture. I do a lot of live video mm -hmm. where I'll go to the cemetery or I'll go to a building or I'll go to a place and set up the camera and then narrate what happened or talk for 30 minutes or an hour. Oh, I wow. used to do a lot of uh, like, I guess you would call them sort of video podcasts where I have a, vet, a guest on for live streams and stuff. Mm -hmm. That became to be too much work for the return. So I, I didn't, I haven't done any of those this year, but last year back through the YouTube channel, we have got great interviews with other historians where I could bring in, they're working on the Confederate Navy or this and that. And like my audience is interested in that. I don't know about that. Let's talk about your book. Right. So I tried to kind of be sort of what you're doing with yours and bringing in other people mm -hmm. uh, to, to cross pollinate audiences and things. But that has with the tour business, that's taken a little bit of a second, uh, second or lower priority. Okay. So the Facebook page is for Civil War Seattle is pretty good. I think that's where you can keep up the, where there's tour announcements, that kind of stuff. Okay. The latest article, if there's an anniversary of something going on, that's where you'll find that. YouTube has more archived stuff. And then TikTok, um, I have an enormous following on TikTok. Okay, I'm sorry. Really? TikTok? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 14,000 followers on TikTok for Civil War Seattle. Um, but TikTok's a little more general Civil War history content, less Seattle specific. So 
if you want to get some facts and some other general civil war stuff, there's, there's tons and tons and tons of posts on there for people to follow. Uh, so that's, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that there's a bigger, there may be some history accounts out there that are bigger than Seattle civil war, Seattle on TikTok, but not many. That's for sure. I would so not think one. that that would play well on TikTok. I just, it, you wouldn't, that, you wouldn't, I, but it's, well, good it for can, you, man. That's yeah, that's, it was fun. The problem with that is, is it doesn't translate to my day-to-day stuff very well. So no. it gets, it, it's TikTok is so random with its distribution mm-hmm. that if I get a video that gets a hundred thousand views or something, fifteen of those might be in Seattle. So it doesn't. Right. So I've de-emphasized that in time as well. Too, I'm like, man, I put all this into it and I get these great statistics and numbers, but it hasn't directly led to an additional tour or an additional right. people showing up at a speaking engagement or something so okay so it's there but it's it's a it's a minor focus but face facebook civil war seattle is probably okay. the most up-to-date right. stuff we're going to wrap this up i have two final questions for you okay final question number one what didn't i ask you that i should have boy um i think one thing that people commonly ask and i I think it's a fun story and it's an important one and i enjoy telling this on tours or talking to people whenever they ask is how did i start caring about the civil war veterans here in seattle specifically when did i turn inward with that with that looking at at these at these people these veterans Mm -hmm. and their families mind you there this isn't just the the old soldiers it's the impact of this whole generation of people um and where I went to art school was just several blocks from Seattle's cemetery that is now exclusively the burial ground of Union Civil War veterans. It's a city park. It's a Civil War cemetery. It's four blocks from where I went to school where I was studying art and studying histor- to be a historical illustrator. Um, and I still was thinking the Civil War, it took place in Gettysburg, and I got to travel, and I got to go to the library to read about it. Meanwhile, it's literally blocks away art. <laughs> the, the yeah. cemetery full of all these guys. So years later, uh, you know, mid 2010s, I was in the cemetery and I'm looking at the different names and the regiments just like, Ooh, Oh, here's a guy from Wisconsin. You know, the same thing I see people do when I'm sitting there and they're walking through the cemetery looking for their last name or the state that their family's from. Okay. And that's it. So I was kind of doing that. And I found three, veterans of the 500 plus that are buried there that served in the same regiment as my third great grandfather. Now, I'm pretty connected with him because of my interest in the history. He was also an artist. He was a painter in New York City. Uh, I've seen his studio. I've seen, I had an art show in Soho that was several blocks from where he was a practicing artist. Like it's my connection with that aspect of my history is very intimate and feels very real to me and here we have three guys in seattle that fought with him in the same regiment and i thought what the heck why first of all why are there three of them here because it's the distribution is not they came out here very individually i didn't know that till afterwards but i saw these these guys and like why how did did they come here together did they work together is there some sort of network that brought soldiers of the 97th new york infantry to seattle (laughs) what is this so I looked up those three individuals, and I found that one of them had been wounded at the Battle of Fredericksburg in December of 1862 on nearly the same ground that my ancestor had also been wounded, in the same patch of dirt, basically, about 50 yards apart. 
wow from, from one end of the line to the other and that's where i thought wow like this guy may have even known my third great grandfather and then he my ancestor was slightly wounded this guy was a little bit more injured significantly injured they went to the same field hospital and at that hospital my ancestor was changed from being an infantry soldier to a nurse at the division hospital and he may have even been involved in that soldier's care yeah he was at that hospital longer those potential questions i was like i looked down and i thought this they may have spoken mm -hmm. and immediately mm -hmm. it became intensely uh wow personal and that's okay. where i was like now i need to know who all these guys are and looked into his story and then you realize oh man this guy lived here this guy did this where i live in bothell this was the original homestead of a pennsylvania civil war veteran and i live on it as i'm recording this podcast really sitting on the homestead of a civil war veteran i wouldn't have known that unless you look at them personally here um so that's really the origin story of civil war seattle okay comes from that moment where i read about that so that that officer being wounded with my third great grandfather and thought that these guys are like they they were closer to me than i am to my neighbor bleeding on the battlefield in virginia in 1862 um and that's when i turned that's where seattle civil war seattle was born not just somebody interested in the civil war right. and then i became obligated to share these stories because nobody knows and i couldn't find it when i wanted to look for it there's no book about this there's no website i felt you know, this is here, and the more I talk to people, the interest is intense mm -hmm. in it. So, if nobody else is going to do it, I gotta, I guess, I gotta be the guy to go public with this. So that's that's uh, answers some of the previous questions a yeah, little bit more no, thoroughly. That's, that's awesome. Um, but that's that's the important part of this to me is like why not just an interest in the Civil War. It's really. It, it's you know i wouldn't be here where my third great grandfather didn't have a kid and all that but then you connect it with real life flesh and blood people that lived here in seattle uh that that changes the the, the math on a lot on that whole history right no that's wow okay i don't know if i can top that but i'm gonna try all right last question very important okay. very important this is gonna be a hard question maybe not maybe be, but i want you to take it seriously cake or pie and why oh absolutely pie um and shoe fly pie in particular um which is a i don't know if you're you or your listeners would be familiar with shoe fly pie it's not a washington food it's a south central pennsylvania food uh boy boy this is you can we're great with segues today so this connects back to my childhood trips to gettysburg and going to Lancaster County to Pennsylvania Dutch country and getting shoe fly pie as a kid. And that was my favorite food. And I looked forward to that specific food on our trips there. Uh, that was a, a, an integral part of that, that whole experience where we started with the coloring book, the shoe fly pie is also part of that. So it's, uh, it's really built in. And so anytime I can have that, uh, and I lived in Lancaster County for, for a while later in life too. And, it's it's on my top five favorite foods and and uh so that would be that's right. an easy one easy all right one. so for for the members of the audience that don't know what shoe fly pie is mm -hmm. please please elaborate yeah so it's there's different styles uh 
Lancaster County probably does best what they call wet bottom shoe fly pie. So it's a regular pie crust. It's a two layer pie. The bottom layer is basically molasses. And then on top of it is like a, cr like a crumb cake. Like if you have a coffee cake with crumbs on top mm -hmm. of it, mm -hmm. it's sort of like that, like a little crumble crumb kind of mixture on top. Uh, it's, it's not particularly, it's sweet because it's like just drinking a half a bottle of molasses, but it's not <laughs> saccharine, sugary, right, fruity right. sweet. It's a different kind of sweet. Right. Um, and it's a great breakfast food, speaking of coffee. So it's like, it's kind of like if you took a piece of coffee cake and poured a bowl of molasses and then put a piece <laughs> of coffee cake on top of it, that's go. kind of kind yeah. of what it tastes like. So it's got a very breakfasty, goes great with coffee with like milk in it or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's, that again, it just goes to my roots is, you know, spending time in that part of Pennsylvania and living there and everything. It's, okay. it's, uh, that's awesome. Nobody, another, nobody in, in my DNA for sure. Nobody has answered that question quite as emphatically or as quickly as you have. So there's been some like, <laughs> Oh, it's, it's gotta be pie or it's gotta be cake, but not, not yeah. with the folks. You can't see the look on his face, but there was this, this like, Oh, moment. You know, it was, yeah. you, you just had this like, Oh, that's yeah. There's there. Yeah. I just had my annual shoe fly pie two weeks ago for my birthday. My wife made one. Cause you can't buy it around here. Right. You got to ship it, get it shipped overnight from the Pennsylvania to get it. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, you know, it matches up with the food questions before they get, where did I learn about art or the civil war and the shoe it all, it's all the same. I'm I'll get, any of those four topics and mix in baseball for five, uh, you'll, you'll get the same result from me generally. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I, I'm going to come over. I, how do I say this? I don't get over to the West side as much as I used to. I used to live mm -hmm. in the, in the Seattle area in Tacoma area. I many, yeah. many, many years, but we moved over here six years ago now. And, uh, I, I really like central Washington. Um, and so leaving here is, let me see how it's an easy drive. Bothell's a really easy drive. I don't have to go into Seattle, so that, that's more enticing. Traffic sucks over there. Let's just put it that yes. way. Traffic's just terrible, and that's why I left. I yeah. don't, and I, you know, just even thinking about driving over there is giving me, you know, heart palpitations right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I get it. But I I think I know I want to go and take this tour because, yeah, or one of them, you know, not, you know, it, it, I think it'll be fascinating. I, I think you're a great storyteller, and I had no clue up until, you know, two hours ago that you were a painter. And, and now I had no clue that the first, um, Olympic gold medal winner, the first Olympic medal winner period in Washington state was a Confederate veteran. That's just like, yeah. I could win trivia contests with that info. I mean, yeah. think about this, you know, that's like a ringer question to have in your back pocket. Yeah. Um, and so this has just been fascinating for me. Uh, really enjoyed it. And, Thanks for taking the time to sit down and chat with us. Yeah, it was fun. And and I, I liked, you know, I think the that you you looked into the art made for interesting conversation. Um it 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 enlightened me on how connected this stuff is for me. I did, you know, you I, I think it was a it was a very fun conversation for me. I'm glad you enjoyed the, the stories. That's just the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg uh with this stuff. But it's the other thing I would leave your listeners with, uh going away from this is it's not just the civil war history is not just 
to Seattle. It's this every community in this state, whether it's Wenatchee. I was just looking at pictures yesterday of a Civil War monument in Ellensburg and Walla Walla that my friends were sending me. So it's these these are the people that are the pioneers of this entire state in large part. So if you're in Spokane, go to the cemetery in Spokane and you'll see dozens and dozens and dozens of Union veterans and there's monuments to them. And Walla Walla, it's the same. Ellensburg, Wenatchee, Chelan, Yakima has a big section and a big monument. Mm-hmm. Every town and city in Western Washington. So uh, so even if you can't come to Seattle, you, you, can, you can look locally anywhere in the state and you can find the same stuff and find your own version of it too. Right. Uh, so I, I encourage people to explore wherever you are in Washington because this, this history is, is, is statewide. No, it's a, it's yeah. a fascinating place that we call home. It really, yes, it really is. Absolutely. In these conversations I get to have with people, um, you know, if you would have asked me when I started doing this podcast, Hey, are you going to talk to somebody about the civil war? No, I don't think so. Probably yeah. not. And, and <laughs> yet here we are. Right. Yeah. And so, and who knows what's next, you know, and that's, yeah. that's makes it fun for me. So, well, thanks again. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Thank you too. Thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can reach me on Twitter at Explore Law State. I'd love to hear your comments. You can also visit our website at explorewashingtonstate.com. If you know anyone who would like the show, it'd be amazing if you'd share the show with them. This is the biggest way that we grow this show. Good old word of mouth. Glad you were here with me today, and I hope to have you listening to the next episode. See you then.